The Reaper by Dorothy Easton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman. The Reaper by Dorothy Easton. Millgate was a rich farmer owning his own machines, not like those poorer, smaller men who hired an engine from a neighbor. He has his reaping machine, a red and yellow Walter Wood Cleveland brand. Every morning now, as soon as it's dry enough, about nine o'clock, the engine starts, and from the farmer's manor house, its heavy, drowsy sounds are heard. For those on the machine, the noise is harder. The only human sound that penetrates it is the old conductor's oi to the driver if the canvas sticks or if weeds are making a block. Then the young man in front slows his engine down and wipes his forehead with his hand. Reaping goes on until nine at night. No strange man sits on the reaper, but one of Millgate's best men the most trustworthy the most faithful the wagoner a man well over sixty with side whiskers gray eyes a long nose and a forehead and chin carved out of granite on his head a flat wide-awake hat on his bent back a white jacket when he speaks his mouth moves sideways first there's always a spot of dried blood on his lip when he smiles, a tooth stump appears like an ancient fossil. He talks slowly, stopping to spit now and then. Every day of his life, he gets up at half-past three. Now, mounted on the high iron seat, a crumpled sack for a saddle, he rides like some old charioteer, a Hercules with great bowed back, head jutting out, chin straight. A hard weathered look about his face and in his heart disgust this year for the first time they are using a motor engine to pull a reaper around instead of horses he lived for his horses he's the wagoner and they are his job if one falls ill he sleeps with it he believes in horses but speaking of the motor he says she's all right when she's all right with a look that ends the sentence for him. In his youth he had reaped with a scythe. This Walter Wood is a neat arrangement, you can't deny that. One bit of the mechanism works as a divider, while a big, light kind of wooden windmill arrangement, continually revolving, beats the corn down into a flat pan from which it's carried on a canvas slide, up an incline, then shot over and down the other side in a continual long flat stream like yellow matting and then the needle the threadle as he calls it nips in somewhere binding the flat masses into separate neat round sheaves pitched out every few moments with perfect precision by a three-pronged iron fork above the one big heavy central wheel the charioteer is shaken and jolted from nine till nine in front on another iron seat by the box-like engine 
the driver works behind runs a red-faced laborer clearing corners the motor has to run out the full length of its cogged iron wheel bands before it can turn and the sheaves dropped on the last round get in the way so at every corner they have to be lifted and set back the laborer clears then runs after the machine now halfway up the field stops at the next corner stoops once more to lift and shift three sheaves then runs again this laborer was a man of forty with a face as naive as a boy of fifteen though getting bald his eyes were young his mouth loose untrained as a child's he's touched as we say and had never really grown up he slept in the attic ate in the kitchen and worked but was not responsible he was always given light jobs walking with the clappers weeding cleaning styes clearing his greatest friend was a boy of twelve on sundays they'd laugh for an hour at nothing going to the coast for the first time last year he was so taken by a punch and judy show that he never saw the sea his smile was the most ridiculous thing in the world he blushed continually panted grinned like some boy caught kissing and was always apologetic lightning made him hide his head and he was afraid of engines their regularity upset him running behind the reaper this quick-moving noisy thing smelling of oil made up of sliding chains appalled him there were five wheels at an angle and all the time an oil-wet black flat chain band ran around over them underneath the heavy central wheel ran round and round to the imbecile the wagoner's courage appeared supernatural there should have been another man to take two corners but all hands were wanted so the laborer had to run all day it was hot no wind no shade if he looked up for a moment the hills and distant elms appeared bright blue the big field itself was ablaze with color wheat like brown burnt amber poppies small white daisies thistles when the engines stopped the only sounds were plaintive anxious bird calls from the center of the field sometimes a rabbit or hare looked out then bolted back once five graceful sleek brown pheasants ran out toward the hedge then lost their nerve turned and went running back the sun shone steadily sheaves picked up by the laborer made his hands smell oily their string band raised a blister on his forefinger very often he grabbed hold of nettles and sharp thistles and the backs of his hands were swollen and covered with stings blue butterflies twirled in front of his face pale moths flew out when his hat fell off he had no time to get it the sweat ran down his egg-shaped forehead to his long square hairy chin though he could shave himself on sundays he looked a little like a monkey when the engine stuck the wagoner asked in his slow flat voice won't she speak she's not coming out was the youth's reply 
Once the driver was thrown up a foot when the motor went over a hole. He yelled, Men are often killed by the reaper. The imbecile got the startled look of a child seeing snakes at the zoo. Each time the engine snorted, or the wagoner called out, Oi! A spurt of water ran down his spine. The blood was beating in his head. The sun shone mercilessly on his pale, bald patch. The field began to bounce before his eyes, bloodshot from stooping. When the yards of bindweed shackled the machinery, the wagoner just turned his head, a sign for the laborer, who had to run, had to catch and tear away the long green chains full of small pink flowers. By four o'clock they were overtaking him before he got round. The driver had to turn more sharply. The canvas stuck. Don't you do that again, the old wagoner scolded with stern eye. You'll turn us over. The engine stuck when they tried to start it again. For half an hour the young driver tinkered with the tools from the box, unscrewing small oily nuts, testing wires, feeling levers, and in desperation wiped his black dripping hands on his hair. Twenty times he turned the starting handle, but she wouldn't speak. Then suddenly, with a sound like a pistol shot, the engine fired. The machine ran backward, upsetting the laborer, and before he could move, the central wheel ran over his ankles. When the imbecile came to himself, they were still at the corner. His feet were tied up in a jacket. He was suffering horribly, yet seemed unable to focus it. But seeing the red and yellow reaper standing close beside his head, some memory soaked his face with sweat. He fainted. Brandy was fetched. They lifted him onto a hurdle when he recovered again. The whole group were still at the corner. His employer stood there, stout, well-dressed, and anxious, in his gray felt hat, dark coat and trousers. The driver stood there, too, and the old wagoner. Corn was still up in the middle of the field. The laborer looked surprised at seeing sky before him. As a rule, when he started, he saw fields. He turned his face. The men watching saw his round, boyish eyes project at sight of something red and wet and sticky, like the mess they made out sheep-killing, splashing on the stubble, while two broken boots lay oozing the same stuff in a large pool of it. Following this look, the old wagoner said slowly, Er, my boy, them are yours. Tears were running down his stiff, dry cheeks. How do you feel? asked the farmer. His laborer blushed, then whispered to the wagoner. What's happening, Mr. Collard? Why, you've lost your feet. For yet another minute the imbecile lay panting, shy, self-conscious, under his master's eye, until the idea struck him. Once more whispering to the wagoner, he said, Help me up. I'll go home, Willie. You can't walk, said the old man simply. You can't walk no more. The black hair stiffened suddenly on the idiot's chin. He had understood that in those bleeding, mangled boots 
His feet were lying. He began to cry. And then, catching sight of his master, smiled as though to apologize. The End of The Reaper by Dorothy Easton